You're listening to Big Pulp Audio for the week of May 15th, 2016. Know nothing, huh? Hey, welcome to the inaugural edition of Big Pulp Audio, the official podcast of Big Pulp Publications. I'm Bill Olver, editor and publisher of our line of sci-fi, fantasy, horror, and mystery magazines and anthologies. Our website and online store is located online at www.bigpulp.com if you are joining us for the first time. There you can find links to our publications and online fiction and information about subscribing to Big Pulp magazines. Uh, you could also find a link to our Patreon page. If you've enjoyed our publications in the past or are just finding us for the first time, we would definitely appreciate your patronage. We have various levels of monthly pledges and lots of groovy stuff for you in return for your support. For our podcast, I'll be joined by writers and artists whose work has appeared or will appear in our books and magazines, as well as special guests from the world of indie comics, geek culture, and the small press. On occasion, we'll also talk about what goes on behind the scenes at Big Pulp, uh, our submission process, what kind of fiction and poems we like and what we're looking for, and special events and readings. This week, I'm happy to welcome Paul Lorello to the podcast. Paul is a horror and science fiction writer from New York. His work has appeared several times in Big Pulp in our anthologies, uh, The Kennedy Curse, Black Chaos, and Way Out West. Uh, Paul's also been published in Membrane and Pseudopod, and the Pseudopod podcast of his story, Growth Spurt, was selected as the winner of the Parsec Award for Best Speculative Fiction Story Short Form. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Good. So uh, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, okay. I, I was um, born and raised in, in um, the suburbs of Long Island, um, which is it's not enough grounds for um, make the making of a, a horror writer, <laughs> as is. <laughs> um, I had a little help from my older sister, who used to just completely torment me with, with hideous scenarios, just, just completely scare the shit out of me when, I was, when we were little. Uh, she was five years old. Let me just give you a quick background on this. Mary was five years old. I come up from I come from a big family, Catholic family. Okay, and there, there are seven kids, and Mary was the youngest girl um, for five years. Okay, she was the only girl and the youngest for five years. Oh, she loved uh, you. Oh yeah, when we were and and not only that, but I have a twin sister. Oh crap! And so you, can't <laughs> you ruined you know, everything. Yeah, this poor girl. I mean, it was just like the first. And let me tell you, Freud was right. Those first five years, are, you know, are, are the the blueprint for whatever happens from that on in. So she was completely shattered when we showed up. There's no way she could have because she could compete with that. So she really took out her wrath on me. <laughs> and um, and. Let me just tell you, she's the, the nicest girl in the world. I love this girl, and she um, taught me how to read, but also instilled in me a, a love of being scared out of my mind. And uh, she would say things like, you know, you know, before going to bed, she would she would call me into her room and say, you know, the, the, the nightshade was down, and she would say, I saw a pair of eyes glowing outside. Uh, you know, go, go take a look, see if they're still there. <laughs> you know, and I was, you know, this little 
six-year-old or seven-year-old kid. And it was like, it reminds me of, um, I don't know if you ever heard the story about um, John Huston and, and Ray Bradbury writing uh, Moby Dick. Um, Bradbury was, was staying with John Huston in the middle of the Irish woods in a cabin. Nobody or nothing around. And the, the wind was howling outside and, and Houston was just downstairs getting completely plastered out of his mind. And he would call Ray down and say, Ray, come down here. Go. There's a banshee outside. Go out and check, <laughs> see if she's still there. <laughs> it's like, it's like completely just bully him and, and really have a lot of fun with him that way. And that's, that's sort of the way it was. You know, I grew up with I grew up with the fear that my puppets would come to life in the middle of the night, that there would be um, an old lady, uh, a crazy the ghost of a crazy old lady who would pull my hair in the middle of the night and, and scream and scream at me. That's what my sister told me would happen. I, I slept, yeah, I slept with the, the covers over my head till I was about twenty seven. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. So, so, so when it went, so like my, you know, the, the Parsec award was for a story about a, a kid in the suburbs. Go figure. Nice. Oh, <laughs> excellent. Know? Excellent. Hey, turn, yeah. turn it, in, turn it, turn your trauma into, into writing. Exactly. If you can't right. turn it into cash, at least turn it into a story. That's so, exactly it. So any, yeah. any other, any other credits you want to plug recently? Um, I have a story that's coming up soon in uh, Glittership for the Glittership podcast. It's an uh, LGBT podcast um, featuring uh, stories with LGBT themes. And, and um, uh, I had a, a two characters, two male characters that had a very ambiguous relationship, so qualified. And um, so that's coming up soon. I I'm not sure when, though. Oh, excellent. excellent. Um, yeah, nice. yeah. Nice. So and um, other than that, I'm doing my ghostwriting projects, which I, you know, I'm not allowed to tell you about. But ah, doing doing all these mysteries and stuff like that. And then aside from that, that that just you know that helps pay the bills. But um, right, right. Um, I, I have a novel that I'm trying to get rolling again. I wrote one novel in the past, and um, just to see if I could, because I'm a sprinter, you know, and I and I don't have a lot of patience. So when I, you know, I like to get the thing over with quickly, <laughs> you know, get the chore over with quickly. Not, laboring on a novel is just interminable and miserable the entire time. That you <laughs> so, See, but, I, uh, I, don't, I don't have that skill. I wish I did. I wish I did, you know, to, to finish anything. That's, yeah. that's excellent. Well, they say that's the, that's the key to things is finishing. <laughs> it is. It, oddly yeah. enough, yes. Yeah, oddly enough. Uh, you would not Harlan think that, that you ever would have to finish everything. But yeah. apparently that is the key to success. Yeah. So. Harlan Ellison said it, it's not being a writer. It's staying a writer. That's the hard part. Yes. yes. You know. So. And you recently got married. Yes, I did. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much. She's Thank lovely. You. Nothing, yeah, nothing's changed. I, I thought that it was like after you know all this stress and pressure and, and spending money, I thought things would change, but they didn't. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. No, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. No, it is awesome. Actually, it's it's yeah. uh, it's wonderful. I was never the marrying type until four and a half years ago, very late in life, and um, uh, I couldn't be happier. And and it, it, it softened me a little bit, which worries me. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm a little little bit less dark than I was. It definitely softened me. How fun! Know? That's great. That's yeah. great. You guys, yeah. you guys are a great couple. I enjoyed meeting you guys uh, in New York at the reading. Yeah, yeah, right. The Kennedy Curse came out, so which right, I felt yeah. very bad about because I didn't realize at the time that you were 
in New York as I was arranging the book it was kind of all you know very very happened very quickly with one of the writers up there who helped me organize right. it so I felt bad that I wish I could have had you read but we'll we'll have to do that again sometime oh, absolutely yeah, yeah. so um, now you've mostly with us you've published uh, sci-fi and horror so you know, do you consider yourself a horror writer are you pretty you know is that pretty is that your zone you know I think it is <laughs> because um, I never set out to be a horror writer um, oddly enough I just it just so happens that maybe about 75% of the stories that I've sold have been horror. Um, I, I just, I, I do a little bit of everything, which probably isn't the best thing to do, but I I, I grew up loving the, the pulp guys um, and, and like that, um, all these guys that wrote for a penny a word back in the 50s. Yeah. Um, like Richard Matheson and... and um, that whole California group, you know, right, right. Um, and I, I feel a kinship with them that way. I, like they they wrote everything. They wrote you know westerns and and romances and mysteries and and all sorts of stuff. And that's yeah. a, a I just I think it's the um, whatever vehicle is going to tell the story the best. That's the way. That's what you go with. And and I don't know any other way to do it. It just so happens. I think. That the majority of the um, things that I write are horror. I don't. I don't know though. I never really gave it thought. It's so weird. Just just now when you asked that, I, I never really gave it any thought. Huh. So, so what's your what's what's your entry point? I mean, do you when you're when you're writing, do you do you kind of get an image and work backwards from that? Do you start with the character? Do you start with the scenario? And everybody's got uh, their own their own thing. So right. how does right. stuff? It, it's, for the most part, I think it starts with with a, a mood or a feeling, and and then uh, like really fast. And I'm talking split seconds. Um, you, you get an idea of something that you want to write about, okay? Yeah. Um, and and I gave up as far as horror. I'm going to stick with horror for a second. But as far as that's concerned, I gave up on trying to come up with the big idea. You know, with even with science fiction too, I, I gave up trying to come up with the the best idea ever. For a story, because you you never write anything if you do that. <laughs> you just you know. True that. Um, the first story I, I sold in, in Big Pope um, was that little science fiction story that mm -hmm. was a little slice of life thing that um, I just thought it was a neat little idea about this um, a little wormhole that 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 opens up every ten years or so, and the frequency is getting faster, so you don't know how you can't time them anymore, and and every time that wormhole opens up, another um, alien race comes to earth and you have to sort of assimilate it and deal with it I thought it was a neat little idea I was thinking about that in, in one day and it's, I wrote that story quickly and it wasn't until about six months later I realized oh uh, I'm afraid of technology that's what that is <laughs> so that's, that's exactly what that's about how so funny I, that's great yeah so I, I don't start out with those those ideas anymore the, and the metaphors the metaphors just come afterwards uh, sometimes it, it starts with an image also uh, the story Chick Cheery, which is in uh, Way Out West, um, that was the monster that's in that story. I pretty much envisioned right off the bat. I was laying on my floor in my apartment because I do that sometimes, and uh, and imagined seeing this a little creature walking toward me, and um, blew it up to immense size in the story. And uh, I wasn't on anything, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so so. Uh... 
you know, what, what, what do you think makes a good horror story? What, what, when you're reading or, you know, feel free, feel free to plug something, a favorite movie, a favorite book, like what, yeah. what, what do you think uh, really needs, needs to go into? You know what it's, it's, um, I'll tell you, as far as favorite book is concerned, it's, it's these ones that kind of impress you when you're young. Um, I remember reading Salem's Lot for the first time and that was the first book I ever read where I was still living at home and I, and I, and I was asking my mom if she was going to be up longer. You know, it was the first book I ever did that with. And um, I had already been a, a horror fan at that time, but there was something about that book that really got under my skin. And I think it was that, that mounting terror. It's not, nothing is, um, is forced on you. you. You're conditioned to this atmosphere from the start very slowly and seductively right. and and I think that's what makes the, the best stories is when you're able to you know really make that reader yours and then you start terrorizing them you know right. Right. Um, but but it but it has to happen slowly I don't think you can you can start it you know you, there are all sorts of literary tricks you can do to make that happen you can you can use little tricks with language and so forth but um, you really have to work and restrain yourself <laughs> in right. order to, uh, to to really make it work, you know? Yeah. Um, I forget who said this. They said that uh, writing is um, walking along the beach and, and throwing bits of flotsam into the water. And, um, and when you finally reach uh, the end of the shore, everything washes back up again, you know? Uh -huh. And that's when you start writing the story. Nice. You know? So nice. I, I, you can see, the, you know, the metaphor there about... Everything you pick up is is part of the story. Yeah. You know, I have a mug. My mother-in-law gave me a mug that says, "Carefully, you may wind up in my novel." And it's so true, man. It's like that one ear is always open every time somebody's telling you a story. Um, like, uh, David Sedaris said that about a. Uh, somebody says you have to promise not to tell anybody this, and he instantly reaches for the little notebook in his back pocket. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's it's funny before you said how how quickly you write because um, as, as I was reviewing your stories uh, prepping for the the podcast, it, it's very funny. Your characters are like that as well. I, they they really they kind of stay in the moment, you yeah. know. As things are as things are happening, you 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 don't have like the the horror cliches. They don't lament their fate. They don't have a flashback. They're very they're they're very reactive to what is happening now. Um, you yeah. know, kind of made me think of like you know if you ever done theater training they do improv like say yes just say yes to to whatever's happening just say yes and your characters say yes and it's it's funny that you you, you say you write so quickly because that's how your characters move through the story it's like they do not yeah. they don't pause for what's you know <laughs> what's about to happen next they're on they're they're on with it they're they're saying yes to the story yeah to um, deal with it yeah. um yeah that it's um I have a little motto in the back of my head all the time. I, I should really write it out and tack it to the computer or something, but it's um, write the next thing. And that's whenever I'm stuck, I write the next thing that happens. Yeah. I'm not going to stop and, and try to think about what's going on. Just the next thing that happens, and you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but that's what everything is for, right? Okay, uh, I've got to have you read a little bit uh, sure. from your story. Uh, Chikchiri, is that how you pronounce it? Um, Chikchiri. Chikchiri. I call it Chikchiri or Chiri or Chiri. I spelled it Chiri. Man, I, I think I told you, I, I went through about 30 different spellings of this title. And um, um, and I think because the original spelling was 
Chiri was spelled um, C-H-I-R-I, and I thought that sounded too Japanese, mm. like a Japanese, uh, like a manga um, yeah, yeah. character or something. But um, So it's Chiri, and it, to make it sound uh, uh, Native American. Okay. And that appeared in Way Out West, our weird Western yes. anthology. Um, yes. Okay, take it away. Uh, I'll set up the story a little bit. Um, Chick Chiri is about two guys who had just pulled off a heist, and it went terribly wrong. They shot a bunch of people, women and children, I think, and um, and they took off. And um, they're being chased. They they, they they wound up in a rocky ridge uh, inside of a cave um, because they figured they're going to – they have the best vantage point. They're going to pick off the uh, people as they come up. And um, they, they don't want to go over the ridge because it's all flatlands. And they figure they're sitting ducks if they do that. So they're going to have it out right then and there. However, the, 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 one of the guys is um, terrified of them creatures up in the ridge that he's heard about. Okay, and He says they're spider folk. And he tells a little story about Native American, uh, a Native American folk tale about a Shawnee girl who um, had uh, asked the gods for a favor. And uh, they turned... Um, uh, the rival of, of her lover into a spider and um, because she was prideful uh, they turned the lover into a spider as well to punish her so um, and then sent them both into the rocks to live out their lives and and this guy's afraid that the descendants of those two are haunting the rocks okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna take it for when um, they they can, they're sleeping in shifts now okay so the narrator has just opened his eyes okay Without another word between us, I settled down. It was still early June, not yet time enough for the day haze to gather up and choke off the chill of night. Moonlight, the color of lightning, splashed all around us and splashed across the water, and its reflection was a fat, dull jewel right in the center of the pool. I wrapped myself in a skin and sat down with my back against the wall, and everything in me just let go to the fast-falling night and the sweet smell of the rocks. The last thing I saw before my lids closed was Kenny, all wrapped up in a mangy skin, chuffing hot breath into his hands. When I opened my eyes, the moon was brighter than ever, and there was something that wasn't quite right about the air. I don't know what, but something unwholesome had crept through our little camp while I slept and left behind a wake full of dread. How can I describe it other than that it was thick and warm and that it wormed through the chill night air and that it was vaguely like gun oil. Then I saw Kenny sleeping like a little baby doll on the other side of the pool. I damned him once and all the blood in me balled up to my eyes and I was just about ready to leap and crush and, and thrash him awake with my belt when the dull jewel in the center of the pool dissolved like a mist and something rose to the surface. Naked and a spread eagle she was, her arms resting behind her head. I must have made a sound, I don't know, but I know I wanted Kenny to wake up because I tore my eyes away from the girl and looked over at him. But what was once Kenny was now nothing but an empty burlap sack of a man, one that resembled my friend some far-off way. He looked like a dried-up dog that lay in the sun for weeks on end. The vision brought a, brought a crazy kind of laugh into my head, a, a cackling old witch of a laugh that had gotten trapped beneath my scalp and wandered out. 
I turned my gaze back at the girl on the water, and a gust of breath came out of my lungs that almost burst my throat. She had no face, and all her body underneath it, all that naked reddish-brown flesh, it was all a blank stamp, with a dark patch between the legs that was just that and nothing more, and nothing revealed there except for more shadow. Like who or whatever made her didn't know what a real human woman was supposed to look like and was working off of some picture in a medical man's notebook. Her flesh rippled and puffed like and she used her whole body to breathe. That's when the smell in that cave suddenly became something that called to me. It was old and warm and it made me want to be there inside it. It filled my head with the lightest, sweetest air I'd ever known. And it was the deepest hunger and the rawest lust whatever roared inside a man when she floated over to me and floated up over the water, her legs above me. And she came down a bit, hovering there, and that patchy shadow between her legs settled before my eyes. That's when she blotted out a patch of moonlight. And that's when I saw what was around her. No mistaking the halo form of a giant spider. Excellent. Excellent. Great story. Great story. Again, that appeared in Way Out West, our weird Western anthology. You can find links to that uh, if you'd like to check it out on the publications tab on our website at bigpulp.com. And you can also read uh, some of Paul's fiction online. You go to the wiki tab on our website and you'll find links to our author bios. And click on Paul's smiling face and you'll find his long form bio and his Big Pulp credits. Um, Paul, thank you for joining me today. Uh, listeners, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, for more, please visit us online at bigpulp.com. And I also hope you'll check out our Patreon page where you can support Big Pulp, subscribe to our publications, and help us continue publishing great fiction. And thank you again, and we'll be back next week, May 22nd, with another edition of Big Pulp Audio. I hope you'll tune in. Goodbye. Oh, you don't know nothing, huh? You've been listening to Big Pulp Audio, the official podcast of Big Pulp Publications, located online at www.bigpulp.com.